You are listening to Vueltas y Revueltas, the cycling podcast at the Vuelta España, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 16, today we are in Santa Cruz de Becena. Well played in tonight, Daniel, by our resident harpist tonight. Is it Joanna Newsom? Who is it? You and I once went to a Joanna Newsom concert, didn't we? We did at the South Bank Centre in London. Yeah, that was a rare moment where the Venn diagram of our, <laughs> of our musical tastes. Um, yeah, there was, there beautiful. was some intersection, wasn't there? A beautiful harpist in the, uh, in the central square here in Santiana del Mar. A we place I always promised myself I would come back on a romantic break at some point, Daniel, and here we are. Well, you come back, to but be there's, here. there's definitely no romance apart from the beautiful music playing. But yes, Rich, we're in, I think, somewhere where we have recorded before in this exact spot, this in this exact, exact bar, Plaza Mayor. I think we did a press conference here in 2016. That may well be the case. 17. That may well be the, be the case. Santiana del Mar, um, one of the the most beautiful towns in all villages, really, in Cantabria. I learned today, Rich, that Jean-Paul Sartre um, wrote about this place in La Nausée, um, and he called it the most, the most beautiful, the prettiest town or village in Spain in that. It's also known as the town of the three lives because the name suggests, Santiana suggests it's named after a saint, not the case, that it's flat, the Yana or Yano bit um, suggests that it's flat. It's not really flat, is it? it's pretty undulating, as we saw in today's stage, because today's stage yeah, came through here, it did. and that it's on the sea, and, and it's, it's not. not. It's, it's about it's quite a distance. It's a four, five or six k, I think. Yeah, from at the, least. Yeah, from it's, the very it's beautiful, misleadingly named place. But let's paint a picture, Daniel. I mean, there's these tiny little cobblestones, very uneven uh, surface in the main town centre, which is very small. It's very kind of compact, but. It feels it feels oldie worldy, doesn't oldie it? Oldie worldy. It does feel oldie <laughs> yes. worldy, though. It, it feels um, beautiful medieval, kind sort of medieval. Cobbled streets, half timbered yeah. houses, um, geraniums hanging from balconies. It's it's a beautiful scene. Not being funny, but it could be a little village in Kent, and in fact, or Alsace. There is a, a theory that the name Cantabria derives from the I Celtic word "cant" for rock. I think this is right. And that Kent is the same. Is that is that right? Is there some link with Kent? I read this today. I've forgotten the details. Um, but yeah, Kant uh, is a Celtic word for rock. Kant is Celtic for rock or rocky. And the name Cantabria could also be related to the Celtic root Kant or Kant meaning edge or rim. This is straight from Wikipedia, I'm afraid. It's no, no higher than that. But interesting. And a really interesting selection of tunes by our harpist, isn't it? It's fantastic. I don't know if it's coming through very good at name, at name that well, tune. Well, it's out of context, isn't it? They are familiar tunes, but um, can you... What's that? Played in an unfamiliar way. So familiar. Someone will be able to tell us. Daniel, what happened on the stage today? Well, well Lionel's, Lionel's going to tell us in a moment, it? isn't it? Shall we cross straight over to Lionel Burney and not Watford? Tell us exactly what happened today. 
Thanks, chaps. Yes, stage 16, the first one after the rest day, kicking off the final week, was 180 kilometres from Laredo to Santa Cruz de Bazana. And tonight, De Koning Quickstep will be having a double celebration because it was the birthday boy, Fabio Jakobsen, celebrating his 25th birthday today, who is also celebrating his third stage win of this welter. And assuming Florian Seneschal does not open one of Jakobsen's presents or blow out the candles on his cake, we must assume that harmony has been restored in the De Kerning Quickstep ranks. It was a relatively straightforward sprint finish for Jakobsen, but perhaps not the armchair ride to the finish. He had quite a lot of difficult chasing to do, but more of that in a moment. Very early on in the stage, there was a crash involving three riders well-placed overall, Guillaume Martin, Enric Mass, and 12th place Giulio Ciccone. And Ciccone, the Italian riding for Trek Segafredo, pulled out of the race midway through the stage. There was a break, of course. The riders who went clear, Stander Wolf of AG2R, Yetzabol of Burgos BH, Mikel Biscara of Uskaltel, Dimitri Kleiss of Quebec, and Quinn Simmons of Trek Segafredo. And with around 60 kilometres to go, they were joined by Harm Van Hooker of Lotto Sudal, who bridged across to the lead group that was never really allowed a big lead. At around about that same time, as the peloton were tackling uh, some pretty tricky climbs, Fabio Jakobsen in his green jersey was slipping off the back of the bunch and at the same time UAE Team Emirates went to the front to make it doubly hard for him. And at one point Jakobsen was in a group around about a minute behind the main peloton, although he did get back in touch in plenty of time to contest the finish. In the last 30 or so kilometres, the brake was sensing that its time out front was numbered and with around 30 kilometres to go, Yetzabol tried to go clear on his own and that led the brake to sort of split up. But with 10k to go, there were still three out in front. Stander Wolf, Yetzabol and Dimitri Kleiss were clear with Andreas Kron trying to bridge across from the peloton. But in truth, they knew the game was up, even though there was some stubborn resistance from De Wolf. It was at that point, with around five kilometres to go, that Groupama FTJ took control of the peloton for Arno Demar, perhaps a little bit too early because Bora and Bike Exchange both took over from them. And then, with impeccable timing, De Koning Quickstep went to the front inside the final couple of kilometres. It was a really twisty, turny run-in, a difficult one for the sprinters to judge their effort, not really a straight line uh, for the finish line. And at one stage, it looked like Jordi Meus of Bora Hansgrohe was going to get it. He was sprinting very well, but Jakobsen came through the middle in green to take his third stage win. And, well, the biggest enemy for him now is going to be the time cut and the mountains because he has a lead of 127 points over Matteo Trentin in that green jersey competition. But there's a lot of climbing still to go. As well as Ciccone, we lost Sepp Van Marker and Rudy Mollar today. A very quiet day on GC, not least because tomorrow it's the finish at Lagos de Covadonga, a name that is synonymous with the welter. First climbed in 1983, a difficult enough day because there are two first cat climbs before that, but the role of honour at Lagos de Covadonga includes Pedro Delgado, Robert Miller, Luis Herrera, Laurent Jalabert, Pavel Tonkov, Daniel's favourite, Nairo Quintana, and three years ago on its last visit, to Lagos de Covadonga, Thibaut Pino. So that gives you an indication of the sort of stage we've got. Tomorrow, the big question is, can odd Christian Eiking hold on to the red jersey for yet another day? You are listening to Vueltas y Revueltas, the cycling podcast at the Vuelta España, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. 
Still guessing on fueling, not sure what or when to eat and drink on rights that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much indeed to our title sponsor, Super Sapiens. Grateful to them for their support. And we heard recently from Asker Jokendrup, head of sports nutrition at Jumbo Visma, who um, used Super Sapiens products in training. Uh, and let's hear a bit more from Asker now. One question we had for him was whether there are differences between fueling for training and fueling for racing. It is a small difference, but it, it can be a significant difference. And we all know that racing is maybe just that little bit more intense. Racing is definitely also a lot more stressful because stress itself also has an effect on your substrate use and your glucose uh, concentrations. It might well be affected for sure. As I said, we, we want to make it a little bit more predictable. We want it to be less about guessing and more about knowing. And yeah, measurements usually help you to achieve that. And uh, in this case, you probably need to collect quite a few measurements before you can really draw your conclusions and before you really learn how your body works. But uh, that's, that's part of the process. Well, that was Asker Yukendrup, head of sports nutrition at Jumbo Visma, and uh, they work with Super Sapiens, and we are very grateful to Super Sapiens for their sponsorship of the cycling podcast. My, well, it lacks, it lacks the réussite, it lacks. Physiquement, je me sens bien. Je suis assez agressif. Well, Rich, that was the response to my request. Siri, play me a completely bereft Frenchman or someone who's completely at a loss because he can't seem to pull out a win in a sprint. What's Arnaud his name? Demar. Arnaud Demar. Bon, yeah. bon, ouais, euh, après, euh, <laughs> poor old yeah. Arnaud. Poor old Arnaud. Um, and we should say that just before we cross over to Lionel, we were trying to identify the piece of music, and it was also by a Frenchman, Jan Tiersen. Was it? A keen cycling fan, Jan Tiersen, who composed the music from the film Amelie, and that was a, a, it was a tune from Amelie. So I don't know if that came across in the recording, but I identified it as soon as we hit pause on the recorder. But Arnaud Demar... Um, Jan Tiersen could probably compose a whole album of melancholic tunes about Arnaud Demar at the moment. Well, sounding unusually lost for words there, because Arnaud Demar is one of the best... Well, we talked yesterday in our press conference, didn't we, about riders who are good speakers and how this is a key criterion when selecting our audio diarist. Arnaud Demar is fantastic in the, in the mix zone. And he, he was, in fact, today... But he simply can't explain himself why things are not going well. There are, there are assorted factors. Uh, Jacopo Guarnieri has abandoned the race, so he's not there. He's main lead-out man. And, um, you know, I think he, he probably missed Guarnieri today. On other occasions in this Vuelta, it's been other f components of the lead-out train that have gone missing or have not done their best job. But, you know, DeMar feels like he's in good form. He feels, And he feels like he's aggressive enough. And I know you've got some doubts about that, maybe. Well, sprinting is a funny game, isn't it? Less than a year ago at the Giro, he was 
absolutely unbeatable in you know he could do no wrong uh, and his team were were buzzing they were fizzing we had Jacopo Guarnieri as an audio diarist and his diary entries were just exuberant uh, because he won what four stages at the Giro and he was he was absolutely super, superlative and here it's going to it does look to you know it does look like he's he's just not there in the finale so he's he said in, in that brief clip, and we will get on to the winner in a minute, but I am fascinated by, by DeMar and how in sprinting such a mental game. He won five stages at the Giro. Four stages at the Giro. Sorry, live corrections corner here. Four stages at the Giro. But there's just, yeah, there's just, he's, he's I don't want to say bottling it, but he's, when it comes to that crucial moment when the, 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 the kind of lead out men peel off and the sprinters have to assert themselves, DeMar is ducked ducking out a little bit and he did today and he was unlucky he was pushed on or his lead up man was pushed onto the, the kind of curb and DeMar fell back at that point and never came back in he's not even get, getting a chance to, 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 to sprint at all we're not actually are seeing we, him sprint are we have we in, even seen him sprint well, are we in this world to underestimating the extent to which the sprints the sprint finishes are actually battles between the lead out trains and the Koenig Quick Steps lead out train when it gets it right and Alpacin Phoenix's lead out train when it gets it right are both quite exceptional. Yes, that's true. But the the second point to the sprinting being a funny game uh, is that it's, it's a kind of seesaw, isn't it? If there was one rider you would have anticipated might struggle to get back into the groove and to cope with the kind of hurly-burly of sprinting, it would be Fabio Jakobsen, you know, given what he's through, come through. And we've gone in this welter from, there's been a whole narrative arc, there's been Fabio Jakobsen, the, the, you know, the, the kind of, the tragic figure, the the the, the, the great comeback. And, and now he crosses the line, he's like the Incredible Hulk. You know, he, he's in the green jersey and he made this... On his birthday. Peter Sagan, yeah, like celebration where he, he looks, and he looks as this welter's gone on, better you know faster stronger st- really strong i mean he, he looks to me more solid more muscular almost than than at the start of the vuelta and today there was absolutely no question at all matthew trenton at one point um could have boxed him in if he'd been a sneaky sprinter but he left the left it open for jacobson and with a clear run to the line nobody can beat him and i, I would I, I don't know it's always hard to to say whether he would beat riders who are not here but Jakobsen looks as good as anybody just here. Tw- just 25 today. Mm, yeah, no, he's still young, and there's a there's a there's a vacancy, isn't there, for the kind of the alpha male of the sprinting world? And Jakobsen, if only with his victory celebration today, is kind of staking a claim to that. Well, there has been uh, that vacancy for almost 10 years, I would say. There've been there've been riders who have seemed primed for that role and haven't quite taken it. Marcel Kittel, I suppose, was the last one, but it was pretty short-lived in his case. It was maybe a couple of years, two or three years prior to that. Obviously, Cavendish held that position for for a long time. But I, I don't know, maybe it's a, a slight sort of wistful wistfulness taking hold, but I don't really think there has been a, 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 an alpha sort of sprinter in the way that Cipollini was for, for quite a while. I mean, I think Tim, Tim Merlier um, could could be the the, the best sprinter. We, we saw him win, win yesterday as well, away from the Vuelta, but he's he's um, he's not been beaten by many people this year. Shall we hear from uh, 
Jakobsen's lead-out man today, uh, Bert van Leerberger, the Belgian, big Belgian rider, who did a great job today. Um, there would be a lot of eyes on the De Kooning Quickstep lead-out today, given what happened the other day when they, they lost him, they misplaced their sprinter. They found him again today. And, well, this interview went in a direction that I wasn't really expecting. Was there, was there a moment of, uh, of uncertainty today when UAE went to the front and split it, or were you quite confident it would all come back? Yeah, we were not that confident because we were dropped. And uh, but we we we, I, we know we need to stay calm. If we get them back in the bunch, it's always possible that he win. He's the fastest of the peloton. So yeah, there was a bit of panic, but not not a lot of panic. We stay together with a lot of strong guys. We know we can close the gap always. Uh, and can you talk us through that, just the finale there? It was quite technical. I mean, there was a big crash today as well, and one of the riders said that one of the problems up here is that there's a lot more road furniture. The roads are a lot more twisty up here than perhaps you're used to. Oh, I'm used to Belgium, well, so... Yeah, um, the rest of the yeah, 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 maybe the rest of the peloton, I, I notice also there's a lot of guys, sorry I say it, that cannot uh, handle the bike good here. I don't know why. I, it's the first time actually I see it, that a lot of guys are not uh, able to, I don't know, to concentrate or I don't know what it is, but I see a lot of uh, mistakes happening in the peloton. I think it's not the road furniture of the, or the race, it's just uh, the, uh, they're not capable of riding good or, or something, or they're not um, focused enough, I don't know. Uh, but I notice also a lot of crashes here, yes. They need to ride more in Belgium, eh? Yeah, yeah, I think, yes. If, if they ride the classics, then for sure uh, they don't cra uh, crash in one of the two. Uh, if you ride two classics and you... Don't crash in one, then you can uh, handle the bike good. So. so the final kilometers here for you guys didn't didn't it didn't pose any particular danger. It was a, a fairly straightforward finale for you. Yeah, it was quite tactical until uh, we went two to go. Stevie went uh, and did a good uh, pace, and then Florian take it over, and uh, I think Kukler was behind him, and I was behind Kukler. He take it over, and it was quite good. Then Mesgech came with uh, with Matthews that went in the wheel. And uh, I always try to position uh, Fabio good. If he's fresh and he's good, if he's good positioned and he's fresh, he's always the fastest. No danger of Fabio losing his lead-out man today. Yeah, no, 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 no. I was waiting for him. <laughs> well, Van Lerberger there um, making some comments about his fellow riders, which are interesting, and they actually chime with remarks we had from uh, Mitch Docker during the Tour de France about um, you know there were a lot of crashes at the start of the tour. Uh, rider error being a factor and today it was actually Joe Dombrowski we'll hear from him a bit later on but he said afterwards that for the first couple of weeks of this Vuelta they've been on these big long straight roads up here in the north of Spain it's a different Spain it's a, it's a different, different country isn't it place yeah there's it's it's more twisty turning there's more road furniture it's very different to the last two weeks and he thought that was a factor in the big crash today which had a you know John Bo our um, audio diarist had a had terrible injuries from that. We hope he's okay. James Knox also came off. He did a lot of work today on the front, but his knee was bloody and he came off in that crash too. Yeah, we've come down off the well, the, the big central plateau in Spain, the Meseta Central, and we are on the coast. And it, you know, last week and the week before when we were traveling through a lot of these little towns, these little pueblos where the finishes were and our hotels were generally it's one road in and then three roads out it's a sort of you know they're at crossroads generally and and that's about it as far as the roads are concerned and there there is nothing until the next town village and sometimes that 
next town or village is 20, 30, 40 kilometers away. Up here in Cantabria, it's a lot more like Northern Europe, isn't it? And well, you could see that today, completely different style of racing. So I wasn't really surprised there were, there were crashes. Also not, the, not surprised there were crashes because you know, we've got Zwifters in the peloton, we've got we've got ski mountaineers in the peloton, Tony Paz, we've got mountain bikers, Ben Svihoff, we've got ski jumpers, Primoz Roglic. Now, I'm being, I'm being flippant now. I'm being flippant. You're, 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 you're looking trolling people. Um, no, no, but, but it is an interesting talking point because... I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of a lot of um, Spanish teams, Spanish riders in the race, and perhaps uh, they're used to a different style of racing. I mean, Van Leerberger said there that uh, you know in Belgium you have no choice but to uh, deal with, cope with, and become accustomed to very, very different kind of racing on narrow roads, cobbled little climbs, twists, turns, um, and it's just it's just different, isn't it? And 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 this today. We don't really know what caused the crash, so we're speculating a little bit here. But this was Joe's, Joe Dombrowski's observation anyway, that he felt that today these more technical roads caught people out and were a factor in that crash. And also, let's face it, so the Spanish calendar consists almost well, primarily of stage races. And the big stage races, the races that teams like Caja Rural and um, Oescartel and Burgos BH are, are doing, are, are racing alongside World Tour teams. They're races like the Volta Catalunya and the Tour of the Basque Country. The Vuelta is slightly different in the sense that there are some teams here who have sent big rulers and big classics riders. Those riders don't go to those races, Volta Catalunya, um, Tour of the Basque Country. There were, there were stages of the Tour of the Basque Country when Brakes really should have been brought back, but weren't simply because every team is is composed entirely of climbers. Whereas here, it's quite it, it, it's different. And um, Quickstep have got a, pretty much a classics team here. You know, they they look like a basketball team or a rugby team when they come to the mix zone every morning. And there are you know Group Arm FDJ are a bit like that as well, forming and, a scrum against well, them. For 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 some riders, James Knox would be the scrum half, wouldn't well, he? Yes, Putting he would. the ball in. Yeah. For some riders in the peloton, it will be a bit of a culture shock, I think. Absolutely. I mentioned Joe Dombrowski. Should we hear from him as well? Because we his should. team, UE Team Emirates, uh, did try to uh, rip up the script today. We were we were sort of expecting a a, a, spr- a bunch of sprint, even though over the course of the stage, there was quite a lot, two and a half thousand cl- uh, metres, not kilometres, metres of climbing. Today? Two and a half thousand metres of climbing wow. today, apparently. Um and I better check that, but I, I will. For I'm going to check part. it on Veloview. You, you crack on and yeah. I'll check it. Um, his team, Joe Dombrowski's team, uh, did try to, well, they tried to distance Jakobsen and the other sprinters to help Matteo Trentin, who, uh, you know, could be the fastest from a smaller group. So uh, the whole team on the front, Joe Dombrowski himself working very hard to try and split things up. Uh, Jakobsen, as we heard from Bert van Leerberger, was dropped, but they, they, they got back on. And interesting here from Joe because it sounds like he wasn't in full agreement with the tactic at all. That was uh, that was a big big old effort. Was that planned this morning? That that push? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> so how did it come about? Was it just the the conditions were right? You fancied the was it an order that came over a race radio? Yeah, I mean we heard it over the radio. I think. The idea was to try and drop Jakobsen, but I mean, to be honest, like when you're not on the bike and feeling the conditions, it's 
I think it's a bit different and in the end it was actually a lot of headwind uh, into the finish here and I mean I think Jakobsen was suffering in the end of the climb that I was pulling and he was dropped for a while but then it was quite easy to sit in the wheels so you know it's kind of a abandoned ship then. What, is that what you have to do then, just just forget about it, or you know, because is there a pressure on almost to keep control at the front of the race once it came back together again? Uh, yeah, I mean a bit. I, it's like in a Grand Tour, especially here in the Vuelta, you see really there's two races every day. Aside from the few days, it's been really sure it's going to be a sprint. If you want to win, you need to be in the break because okay it could change jumbo could become more offensive but until now the race to win is up the road and the race for the gc which really involves how many guys 10 12 riders that really care about the gc is back in the bunch um and you know doing like what we did today to be honest when you go back in the bunch people laugh at you like oh you're an idiot what are you doing but i think it's better to kind of swallow your pride a bit and and try and take it easy as you can because in the end it's um you know if you can save a little bit of energy for the next days then it's always good like for me here i just try and take opportunities when i can and i've been in the breakaway a couple times now one day i was close to winning the other day micah won so if i can take some more opportunities in the last week i'll do it and then do my job for the team and for the rest just take it as easy as I can. Tomorrow, uh, Lagos de Covadonga, I know you've been up there before, is that a climb that you like? Yeah, you know, if I can make it in the move that would be great. I, I saw an interview of uh, the director of Jumbo saying that actually they should take Odd Christian Eiking and Guillaume Martin seriously. So I don't know if that means that they're looking to control at some point, but uh, which is not advantageous for the break. but. For me, it's like I have nothing to lose, so, you know, I prefer to play to race to win than to sit around in the bunch and... Because, I mean, let's be honest, in the GC game, other than about three riders, we're all just waiting around to get dropped, aren't we? <laughs> Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC. That was quite interesting, I thought, from Joe Dombrowski talking about the the strategy they had today. Spoken like a man leaving the team in a few well, weeks. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, rumours... Uh, I must I must actually ask him about this, but the, the rumours now are Astana and AG2R. Not both. Uh, I think for Astana both. or a French team. Right, OK. Interesting. Well, That's um, my reading we're going to ask Joe about this. He did think that we would hear something definitive during... As well, too. but yeah, it doesn't sound. It doesn't sound there like a, a man who's going to be staying with the team, and he he will uh, fancy, I think, tomorrow's stage. We also spoke a few days ago, Rich. We were speaking about this in the car today to David de la Cruz um, about where he's going next year because he's out of contract, and he gave me the impression that it was it might still be possible that he stays at UAE Team Emirates, probably more likely that he leaves. He's been rumoured to be going to Movistar, but he said he's leaving it to his agent 
um, at this Vuelta España. He doesn't really want to want to hear too much about what negotiations are, are going on and he trusts his agent to, to strike the best deal for him. But, you know, I also asked him whether he sees himself still as, as, as someone who should have, needs to have a certain amount of freedom to ride for GC in the future. And he said, well, yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, he, he he's reconciled to the idea that he'll also have to work for a leader at other times, but I think he does want some freedom still. You, you mentioned the, the, the meters, the meters of climbing, Rich. Today, two thousand one hundred twenty-one meters, according to VeloViewer, which is the resource that the vast majority of the teams use, and indeed the cycling podcast. Yes, and it's a hefty old week. I'm just looking at the the other stages. Covadonga tomorrow, three thousand five hundred thirty-two. The Gamoniteiro the day after, four thousand four hundred thirty-one. Then the next stage, which no one has really talked about as a uh, as, a, as a challenging stage at all. In fact, some people would would have even expected it to finish in a sprint. I don't think that's going to be the case. 3,413 metres. And then this this sort of Liege-Bastogne-Liege style stage that I think could be dangerous for Primoz Roglic on Saturday, 4,307 metres in Galicia, up and down all day. That's, that's tough. Um, we're going to hear from Quinn Simmons in a moment, who was in the break. But while I remember, because I keep forgetting to mention this, but I mentioned the other day that I thought it was a hunch, really, that Movistar use quite a small core of riders across the three Grand Tours. Um, VeloFacts very kindly investigated this. Um, and actually, they've used 17 riders across the three Grand Tours in 2021. Um, that compares, that is a, quite a low number, but Bahrain Victorious even lower at 15. Ineos Grenadiers also 17, and Bike Exchange also 17. The Kinect Quick Step used 23, and most of the teams are clustered around 2021. 20, so, uh, Movistar have have are, are certainly one of the one of the teams that uses the fewest number of riders. And I think the, the main reason, through. as discussed the other day, the main reason for that is that their Vuelta team tends to bear a very very close resemblance to their Tour de France team. Yeah, and they've certainly used the oldest team, the average age. They also investigated uh, Grand Tour age for the past three years, and and they've they've tended to use the oldest uh, riders in their roster across the three Grand Tours. So Velofax investigated that as well. But Quinn Simmons of Trek Segafredo, uh, a bad day for his team because Julia Ciccone, who was up there overall, um, was out today after that nasty, nasty crash, which was at high speed, we gather. And so the injuries sustained by the riders were pretty bad. Um, I mentioned John Bow already. Um, he looked in really bad shape. But uh, yeah, Julio Ciccone, unfortunately, out the race. Also, Seth Van Mark, I think, out the race today. I believe that in Ciccone's case, what happened was that he got a, well, a chain ring to to the knee. I'm not sure which knee, which sort of dug into his knee. And he tried to ride on for about 20 or 30 kilometers thereafter and, and decided that it was probably smarter to to abandon the race and he in fact I think he went to hospital um, to get it checked but Quinn Simmons 21 year old American riding his first Grand Tour a lot a lot is expected of him um, and we haven't seen an awful lot of him in this welter but he was in the break today and you spoke to him briefly at the finish Daniel my first breakaway of this race and of my career so uh, it's, it didn't make it but it's a nice start I mean, on a day like today, you really need the sprinters to mess it up if you want to survive. There's, you know, kind of a long shot from the beginning. The next three days, I'll be in the Gruppetto for sure. So it was just a good day to try and see where the legs are at. Um, when they kept us around two minutes, it's, 
it's hard to really ever have some faith, but you know, there's always the chance they mess it up, so you just go flat out and I mean, they're pros too, and it's pretty rare they make miss up the calculation. So. I assume by the third week we'd all be tired and going slow, but it turns out we're tired and going the same speed. But yeah, no, just a few more hard days and then some rest and look ahead towards the last two objectives of the year. Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the Vuelta España. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much indeed to Science in Sport, our longtime sponsor. We are very grateful to them for their support. If you want 25% off all your Science in Sport products, there was some great product placement for Science in Sport today. I don't know if you noticed it. No. Uh, it was towards the end of the stage. I don't, don't want to say the rider in case the team doesn't have an official uh, sponsorship with Science and Sport, but uh, um, it was a great bit of product placement from Science and Sport, hanging out a rider's pocket as he um, tried to hold off the peloton and win the stage. Anyway, if you, want yeah. if you want 25% off all your Science and Sport products, go to scienceandsport.com and at the checkout, enter the discount code SISCP25. I hope you're hearing that lovely heart music. It's beautiful, isn't it? I hope it's kind of filtering through. Um, Daniel, tomorrow is Lagos de Covadonga. Tomorrow, shiz gets real. Shiz it, gets real. It's uh, it's it's always a. I mean, it's a spectacular place. Um, I've been up there a couple of times, and it's beautiful. It's uh, and it, it it's become a sort of iconic climb and. In the Vuelta España, we've been up there lots of times. It, it, it um, has, but only its fame, its its sort of mythology is quite recent and quite young because it only debuted in the Vuelta a España in 1983. And there is a school of thought that, well, it's, it, it attained this status that it now has as kind of the outdoors of the Vuelta, partly because in 1983, the, we had the first ever live broadcast of... La Vuelta a España and Covadonga was the big mountain stage then. Do you know what? In 1983, it wasn't referred to in the road book or any of the official uh, literature or any of the press at the time as Lagos de Covadonga. It was actually called the Lagos de Enol, which Enol, I think, is one of the lakes at the top. Um, but this was also very convenient for the press who then christened it because Bernard Hinault went on to win that Vuelta a España and he, in fact he had quite, an, uh, quite a, a good day and a significant day at the Lagos de Covadonga. They called it the Lagos de Hinault. Eight Spanish wins up there, Daniel. Four Colombian wins, but which is the third most successful Russia. nation? Russia and it's France. A funny, yeah, so yeah. could it be a day for Pavel Sivakov? <laughs> it could Dyrus? be. It could be. It had a funny old period, didn't it? In the in the nineties yeah. and sort of early two thousands, where the winners, winners, yeah, the winners have not necessarily been not, the not, most not, prestigious. Not necessarily funny people. No, but just but names that. That jar against some of the other, you know, the great climbers who've won at Lagos de Covadonga. Um, well, Rich, without further ado, should we hear what some of the riders in this Vuelta a España, mainly Spaniards, and some other learned and illustrious pundits think about the Lagos de Covadonga? Vamos, 
Yeah, it's a special finish, no? A finish from a lot of history. And it's, uh, like you say, uh, a special stage, special final. Uh, Johnny Zaguerre, Astana, Premier Tech. Yeah, you feel history, you feel like here, no? The people, uh, they love the cycling. They know very well this, this mythic climb and uh, for sure they are going to, to be uh, close so fast in the, in the climb and they are going to, to push us. metros para que Pavelton con gane y se vuelve a alegrar con esta victoria de etapa el corredor ruso. I mean, it's a, it's a legendary climb here in Spain, especially on Volta España, it's like Tourmalet or Alpe in Tour de France. David de la Cruz from UAE Team Emirates. For me, it brings me a lot of good memories because uh, I had the honor to, to do that climb with the leader Jerzy of Volta España, so I had a good memories from, from that climb. And it's like, it's a really tough climb. Uh, you start like seven, eight percent. Normally you came from a valley that it's, it's, already, it's already hard, but then on the, on the middle section you have like the hardest part that it's called La Huesera, that you have like two and a half k's really, really steep, where normally all the race blow up. And then the last part it's like sometimes more easy, hard, easy, hard. Even you have like a section that it's flat and a little bit downhill before the final kick that it's just really, really hard. So it's going to be a really nice climb. I expect a lot of people there. And normally tomorrow can be, we have also the chance to rain, so it's going to be a more epic day. Y vamos a ver, ahí vienen los otros hombres. Inol tirando. Inol viene en primera posición. Después vemos a Julián Grospe. Después Alberto Fernández. Inol ha dado la cara aquí. Ah, my first memory was when I was one boy, one little boy, in the summer, in, with my family, eh, in the television. I think eh, the Lagos de Covadonga was one of the first stage of La Vuelta in the television, in the, the live television. I am Luis Ángel Mate, the Langs of Marbella, eh, Euskal Tele Euskadi. Eh, I have also another really good memory in the last Vuelta of my friend Michele Scarponi. I was in the breakaway. He was in the group of favorites with Froome, Contador, Valverde, eh, Quintana. And he dropped, he dropped a little bit the group. I was in the breakaway and I, and I helped him a little bit for, for, for coming to the, to the top group. Uh, yeah, it's a mythical climb here in Spain and <laughs> always bad weather. <laughs> we hope this year a little bit some sun. But yeah, I think it's a, one of the most mythical climb of this Vuelta. The landscape is amazing. The north of Spain is Picos de Europa is one of the most and so much place in, in Spain with grizzly, with a lot of animals. In the television we, we can't never see because the weather is not always the best, but we hope to tomorrow we can see. It's, it's a really nice landscape. Efectivamente, ahí se ha parado Miguel, entra en el Hotel Capitán. Gran expectación de público para ver y Miguel Indonepos pues, que se retira de la Vuelta a España. Ahora estamos viendo en estas imágenes desde el helicóptero. Hi, I'm Alberto Contador. Yeah, Lagos de Covadonga is a hard uh, climb, but also the climb before that will be two times. My opinion can be more dangerous. 
then tomorrow is a very good stage for putting a impression to, to Primo Roglic. Uh, maybe the weather will be different. With rain, always it's more difficult to have the control of the race. And we will see if uh, the team Movistar and the team Ineos uh, try to attack to Jumbo Visma because they haven't many opportunities have. Tomorrow after tomorrow, and uh, Santiago de Compostela is good for Roglic. Then they need to take the opportunity. Uh, did it twice uh, in the Vuelta, in 12 and in 16. Uh, 16, we started, I was in the breakaway and we started with a bit more than a minute, I think, in the bottom and just Quintana caught me uh, for the finish. So it was uh, good memories, I would say, but it could have been a bit better. It could have been one place better, those memories, but uh, no, no, no. I, I know it quite well, but also there's a lot you forget, but uh, these days we got all these tech and websites and stuff to, to remind us uh, how, how, how hard it will be. Uh, this is Robert Gezink of uh, Team Jumbo Visma. Of course, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a it's beautiful uh, vistas up there and it's, uh, it, it's, I think, a really nice one to do on a training ride. <laughs> and uh, and for, for this guy, for Primoz probably, it will be a nice, nice day. For me, it will be a day of suffering these days. So. Decisive stages are coming, uh, big mountains, uh, and uh, yeah, uh, again, it's quite hard to say uh, a lot about it because yeah, I don't, I didn't do it uh, before, but uh, hopefully we, we, we will be fine uh, and uh, we can do a good job. It's fun to see new places. Yeah, so far I like them. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, hopefully it uh, stays the same. Uh, that uh, uh, I will have, uh, yeah, nice memories uh, of them. Well, a few voices there, Daniel. Alberto Contador talking specifically about tomorrow's stage, thinking that the, the climb before could also be crucial, but making the point that it, it is one of the last chances for Movistar and Ineos to really take the race to Roglic. It is, Rich, but we also heard there a few of the well, most famous moments, famous episodes that have occurred, some commentary clips um, at Lagos de Covadonga. Um, one that people don't generally talk about, Miguel Inderain pulling to the side of the road at hotel, the Hotel Capitan at the bottom of Lagos de Covadonga in 1996. No one at the time thought that he was retiring from cycling. They thought he was retiring from the... Not even injury. No, from the West Spain. But do you know what? I was really reminded of that moment. And, and even the, the style of the shot the other day when on the state of the Balcon de Alicante... Um, Alejandro Valverde, we talked about it at the time, didn't we? The pathos of this this shot, this moment where there was a motorbike, uh, a camera on a motorbike. I think it was a couple of hairpins up the mountain. They they sort of found a, a gap in the trees and they managed to um, show him getting off his bike or sort of sobbing on his bike. And the Indurain moment was kind of similar. That time it was from a helicopter, but it was it was something that I, I guess the you know, the, the the broadcaster wasn't expecting either that he pulled off the side of the road into this hotel car park and it, it became a very, very significant yeah. moment. Well, I've got news for you, Daniel. Valverde's back on his turbo trainer <laughs> doing yes. six hours a day. Yeah. So after surgery. So um, I don't think Valverde is... Uh, 
is retiring in and quite we heard, the same way. We heard commentary there from 1997, of course, famous victory for Pavel Tonkov. Who could forget? Who could forget? 2016, Nairo man, Nairo man. And uh, yeah, well, Robert Hessink we heard from as well, who was beaten on that day by Nairo man. And then Thibaut Pino, uh, a couple of years later, when I think, I think uh, Miguel Angel Lopez thought that Quintana had won the stage. And Rog, of course, Primoz Roglic, who's just enjoying his trip around Spain. He's enjoying exploring these new places um, and, and, you know, suggested that. Well, he hopes that will be the case tomorrow at Lagos de Covadonga. But, but, Rich, what do we think will happen and what do we think Movistar will try to... We're focusing really on Movistar, aren't we, when we think about who might try to dislodge... Well, Bernal's uh, been very downbeat about his chances of doing anything and he was asked today how he's going to close the, the gap on Roglic and he says, well, I, I'm not, <laughs> basically. Um, that, yeah, I, th- I think uh, Bernal, uh, tomorrow's a day that could really suit Bernal. And I, I, I've got this feeling that he's now going really well, that he's kind of found his legs, but I could be wrong. Movistar, though, do are the team that we're looking to really try and shake things up. And they've still got Lopez and, and, and Mass up there going well. And having those two riders there is, is a really, um, well, it's a really, it's a real asset for them. But as you've been saying, Daniel, Jumbo Visma also still have a very strong and, and fit team. I asked Robert Hessink about that as well this morning. And, you know, he said they're all in really good shape. And um, But, you know, in the end, as so often, it will come down to just the, the main the main riders in the end, I, I suspect. And we could see a shootout on the climb up to Lagos de Covadonga. And it is a proper, proper climb. You know, it's 12 kilometres or so long. It feels very long when you go up there. It's not super high, but it's a proper, proper climb. And you just have to look through the list of winners with a few names accepted to see that, you know, proper climbers have won up there. So, um, you know, if, if Roglic is starting to feel the fatigue a bit and if Mass and Lopez are, um, are, are both equal to, if not better than him, then we could have a really interesting shootout on the climb. We could, Rich, and it is one of these sort of sacred places in... Spanish cycling on in the world of cycling it's one of these names really that conjures up all kinds of um, images and, and holds a certain gravitas very important place in Spanish history as well because the Battle of Covadonga in well, early in the 8th century was the first act in what is referred to as the Reconquista that the Christians seizing back control from the Muslims from the Moors in Spain and that went on for well it went on until the 15th century but Covadonga is very significant in the Reconquista. Do you know who should really know about this? Or I thought might know about this. Um, or anyone who might be studying history um, at this Vuelta oh, a España. Anyone studying history at this Vuelta España? Who could that be? Um, well, this morning, I can't, I can't even remember how I, how I discovered this today. Oh, I think, do you know what? I think we were discussing the fact that yesterday in the, um, what's it called now, Benelux tour, Gianni Vermeersch and Remco Venepol had a little bit of a to-do after the line. Some um, beef. There was some beef, and that got me thinking about whether Florian Vermeersch, here, who's riding for Lotto Sudal, was any relation to Gianni. 
Come on, Daniel. Established, don't, you, you went up to him in the mix on this morning and said, have you, no, have you patched things up with a raincoat? I did not. I did not. <laughs> and I established that he was not. And then I did a little bit more reading about Florian Vermeer. discovered that he was studying history at Ghent University. So I thought he would be the perfect man to eventually, after a long preamble and a long conversation about his studies, um, I thought he'd be the ideal person to ask about Covadonga and the Reconquista. So here was our little discussion this morning. I think I know what you're studying, but can you tell me in your own words? Yeah, I'm currently studying history at the University of Ghent. Uh, I'm in my second year. Uh, yeah, I'm just uh, taking it... Uh, Taking it as I can and uh, progressing slowly. What sort of um, well, modules are you doing? What are you specializing in at the moment? Um, what are the periods you're particularly interested in? Well, my periods I'm most interested in are like the modern day periods um, or like uh, yeah, around the second and the first world war. That's, that interests me most, but yeah, I'm currently in, um, in the stage of uh, my study where it's all very, um, not particular. It's uh, very, very wide. So I'm planning to focus more on the modern day uh, history. Modern day history, yeah. And Florian, what's it all for? Is it a plan B, or is it something you're doing because it interests you? What's it for? Yeah, it's it certainly interests me. That was the main thing why I started studying it. But also, when I started my studies, I was still under 23, and there was no clear uh, view of if I would become a professional cyclist or not. So yeah, I, I just wanted to 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 have something as a backup, you know. And now uh, I, I definitely want to to finish it because you never know how long a cycling career can last. And I just want to have my uh, degree when I uh, finish cycling. When you're on races like this, can you indulge your interest? Are you, um, well, maybe more than some of your teammates, you're finding out about the history of the regions you're going through? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Like, uh, one good example was we we finished the stage in Cordoba a few days ago, and uh, you have the famous Mesquita, and I was actually pretty sad that we couldn't f visit it after the stage, but yeah. That's cycling, and I'm, I'm definitely more interested than some of my teammates, but yeah, that's fine. Just finally, I'll, I'll quiz you now. What do you know about Covadonga and the history of Covadonga? <laughs> Nothing. Hey, the, the, the first battle, you know what the Spanish Reconquista was yeah. when the, the Christians took back Spain yeah. from the Muslims? The first key battle was at Covadonga, where the race goes tomorrow, but I guess you'll be suffering too much to, to, absorb, to absorb much of the history. Yeah, probably I will suffer quite a lot, but... It's really nice to know now, so thank you. <laughs> well, that was Florian Vermeers. What an interesting guy. Big guy as well. He's only 22. Um, he's 85 kilos and 1.93 meters, which is very tall indeed. Um, and I asked our colleague Het Newsblad, Jan-Peter de Vlieger, about him as well. He's also a, um, a local politician for the Liberal, Liberal Party, where he lives. He has a degree in history. I was studying for a degree in history and wrote his paper on 17th century English diplomacy, also renowned as somebody with a very scientific approach to his cycling, but a good rider as well, we should add. I mean, he was 13th at Ghent Wevelgem uh, this year, I think that was this year, and he's had some good results. He's a big classical Flandrian... Beefcake. Beefcake. I mean, he could join the De Quick Quickstep rugby team, couldn't he? He'd fit in quite nicely there in the second row. But he, yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a big talent, and... Um, a very interesting guy. I mean, it's always interesting to hear from riders whose 
curiosity extends beyond yeah. the world of cycling. And he seemed very curious about Covadonga. Don't be surprised if tomorrow you see him sort of scribbling away. Stopping, <laughs> as he... perhaps, and yeah, taking a few photos, perhaps, and uh, who knows? Um, but Daniel, it's quite odd that we're almost at the end of the podcast and we haven't mentioned the man in the red jersey uh, who Joe Dombrowski said earlier he'd heard that is being considered as, as a, a kind of well, been taken a bit more seriously perhaps by Jumbo Visma and, and the others he will have to be dislodged at some point is that going to come tomorrow? I don't know Rich He's, he has 54 seconds odd Christian Eichen has 54 seconds over Guillaume Martin and Guillaume Martin has how many seconds over Primoz Roglic he has 42 42 it's going to be one of the certainly the interesting subplots of tomorrow's stage but Odd Christian Iking, he intrigues me. I like the cut of his jib. He's got, he's got a bit of spunk about him. He's got a bit of a twinkle in his eye. He, he could be. I mean, I think we, we sort of stereotype Scandinavians, don't we, as non-Scandinavians. Um, we, we see them all as kind of quizzical and curious and sort of a little bit laid back. Yeah, laid back. But he, he could. I imagine him as a sort of the kind of errant enigmatic protagonist of a, do you know Lucas, Lucas Moodison, the I think he's Swedish film director I kind of sort of imagine him in that vein um, but he, he really intrigues me and I think he's gaining confidence as the world that goes on I asked him tonight in the press conference whether Ryan Taramai had characterised him uh, accurately a couple of days ago when he said to us that he was a tinkerer he was the tinker man of Intermarche's team in the sense that he was always sort of playing around with different ideas on training and, and nutrition and so on and so forth and chopping and changing. And he, he sort of accepted that, um, but he said, well, he and Taramai are, are rooming together here at the Welter and maybe that, you know, he, he'd just been thinking out loud a few times, you know, when they've been on their parallel single beds, maybe. Talking in his sleep, maybe. Well, yeah, maybe. And he said that, you know, he, he doesn't see himself as someone who, who changes course maybe as much as Tarim, I thought, but yeah, I, I would, I wouldn't mind seeing him um, keep the red jersey tomorrow and maybe m- maintain a little bit of this suspense. That well, you say suspense, building. but I would, I would wager that if he's in the red jersey tomorrow night, he could win the Vuelta. I mean, if he's in the red jersey tomorrow night, if that, if that is possible, and I don't, I don't think the odds are stacked against it. And he said that himself tonight in the press conference. He doesn't, he doesn't really think he will be, but if he is. He, he becomes at least a, a, a definite threat for the podium, given what's still to come. I'm not sure, Rich. The, the climb that comes on the day after tomorrow, the final climb, El Gamonitero, is a, is, is a big old beast. So is Lagos de Covadonga. Yes, I think that it's not beyond the rounds of possibility that he could keep the red jersey tomorrow. I don't think he'll keep it beyond, um, beyond the day after. Do we have anything else to add before we go and find a, a meal somewhere in Santiana del Mar, Daniel? What are you, are you laughing because our, our harpist has moved on to, to Sting now? Fields, sting of, covers. fields it's, of gold. It's gone a bit, makes me it's think gone of, a bit Muzaki, hasn't it? Yeah, it makes me, fe- makes me think of Extremadura the other day. We stayed in a, a beautiful, well, on a beautiful golf course. I think the island's called Val de Cañas. And... Um, yeah, I went for a run that morning and this sort of savannah type landscape. They're actually field, wheat fields 
um, you know, stretching out towards the foot of the Sierra de Gredos, which the race then went up later that day. So, yeah, very evocative. Wow, beautiful. Um, well, we'll, uh, we'll um, go and find somewhere nice to eat here, I think, here. That shouldn't be too difficult. It feels very touristy as well, doesn't it? There's, there's a, lot of, a lot of people um, wandering around. Um, but tomorrow is a big day, and we'll be back tomorrow evening to discuss what happens. Until then, thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Rich.